Come on in and uh, let's get started with our Sunday school class this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you very much for your love and your grace. We thank you that um, you have drawn us to this place. Father, we pray for other gospel preaching churches that are in our area, around this country, around this world as they gather on their day. And Father, we just pray that your spirit would do a mighty work and that you would use the things that will go on in those churches. Father, as we open up the scriptures and as we look at Revelation, we pray that you'd continue to teach us, give us insight into this uh, material. We pray for our teachers and our classes that are going on throughout the building right now. Father, I just pray that uh, it would be a tremendous time and that um, children would understand truth and that they would receive it and embrace it and cherish it. Father, we thank you for those that are pouring themselves into children today. Thank you for our time again, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we find ourselves in the middle of Revelation chapter 20. And um, so, Revelation chapter 20 is where we are. <clears throat> so we went through the first portion of this about Satan being bound, and now we come to um, verse 7 here, and it is, the final rebellion is what this is, um, what we're going to be looking at here and seeing what is going on with that. And so in, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 7, we read this. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded um, and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. So, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we read earlier that Satan was bound in verse 2, and it says that the angel laid a hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And then we see that in verse 7. So he's released from his thousand-year prison. And we need to understand and be reminded that at the, end of, um, at the end of the tribulation, as the millennial reign began, that you're going to have saved people. And these are going to be both Jews and Gentiles, obviously. Saved people will be alive at that time. We don't know how many but we know that there will be a handful of people that will be saved, uh, probably a, a lot. They'll be saved who will just transition into the millennial for that thousand-year reign of Christ. During that thousand-year reign of Christ, they will live regular lives. Now, um, not quite as regular as ours with some of the mundaneness of life and some of the struggles of sin, but it will be regular lives nonetheless in the fact that they will have responsibilities, they will um, marry, they will have children, uh, they will do all of those kinds of things. All right. So now we need to understand then <clears throat> that what happens is after that thousand years, Satan's released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations. Okay. And so it is one of those absolutely amazing things to think about that there will be people who will be living during that time when Jesus Christ is reigning physically on the earth during that thousand-year reign. Life will be totally different than what we know it to be now. 
they will, he will be reigning, they'll be living, and then when Satan is released, he will be able to deceive a bunch of people still and yet again. Okay? Now you say, now Kent, how in the world can that happen? Because surely those people who lived during that time and who were born and grow and, have, and the children who are new, all of them are going to follow Jesus Christ. Well, apparently not. And what we need to understand and we need to say is even Eden wasn't a good enough environment to keep people from sinning. Right? Environment is not the issue, is it? What's the issue? The heart. And only Jesus Christ changes the heart. And so if the heart hasn't been changed, then there's going to be this issue. So Satan's going to come out and he is going to deceive the nations, it says once again. He's going to be released. And so we learn this thing that we talk about all the time, that one of the main purposes, one of the, yeah, that's fine, one of the main purposes, one of the main things that Satan is all about is getting people who are not saved, keeping them from being saved, and messing up the testimony of saved people. That's what he does. And as soon as he's released from his thousand-year um, time, he's back at it. That's what he does. And so that's what he's doing now. He's, he's trying to deceive on a regular basis. Believers and unbelievers alike. Believers keeping them in, in total darkness and not understanding. Believers, he wants to deceive us. He wants to use the things that are going on, and he wants us to wander off and go the wrong direction. That's what he does, and that's what he's going to do as soon as he is released. So the Bible says there, then um, deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, which means this isn't a local thing. It's a worldwide thing that is going on. And Gog and Magog to gather them together for war. Gog and Magog, it's used in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It refers there to Armageddon. And these are titles that are used as a general term for the enemy of God. Okay? Now, I, I, I want to make, make sure that... that that we're careful here. This is one of those passages and one of those, those words and descriptions that we need to not make too much of. What exactly are Gog and Magog? Don't know, don't care. Okay? We don't know. And anybody who tells you that they know, they're guessing. We don't know. We don't know what things are going to look like at this point. We think maybe we might know, but that's not, that's not important. What is important here is that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be deceived and follow Satan, and the general description and term for those people that are turning away from Gog at, at God at that time are Gog and Magog. That's what we understand. If we need to know the ins and outs of that at that time, we'll know the ins and outs of that, of that time. Right now, we don't. Okay? It says they're going to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And so there is a whole bunch that are deceived, right? A whole bunch that are deceived. And so then it goes on and it says in verse 9, And they came up the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And so Satan is gathering together all those that he can, all the deceived, he's going to go to war with, the, with the, the, the new city. He's going to go to war with the saints that are there. He's going to go to war with all of God's followers. And he thinks he's going to have a chance because he has been deceiving people and he's been doing things for a long time. And he, he got a lot, a lot of things have gone on over the history. And yet what happens is fire comes down from heaven and devours them. It's not even a battle. Okay, as soon as they gather together and they're starting to do this thing, fire comes down, boom, that's it. It's a short-lived battle. God ha is saying, that's it. It's done. It's, a, it's enough. It's over. We're, we're moving on here. And that's exactly what is happening there. And the devil then, who deceived them, 
was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They were thrown in earlier and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And this is, this is hell in etern- for eternity. There's no such thing as annihilation. There's no such thing as, well, maybe there's something that, you know, you get another chance or stuff like that. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it teaches. As we've talked about as we've gone through Revelation, this is a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to embrace. But the beast and the false prophet are already there. And now Satan's going to be there and they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's what's going to happen with that. Satan is bound. We have all of these things that we, we looked at a couple weeks ago. Then we have he is freed. He deceives the nations once again. He tries to come to war against God. God says, nope, that's it. It's over. What happens next? 11 through 20 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. And again, not easy, not pleasant. This is a hard topic to talk about. But this is what the Bible says is what happens when people do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay? We need to understand that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that it is appointed under men to die once and then the judgment. Physically die once and then we are dealing with spiritual things for the rest of eternity. They're talking about, he's talking about that physical death. We're going to die once. Physically, we're going to die. And then it's the judgment. And this is what he is talking about right here. Verses 11 and 12. What a terrifying sight. You know, we, we have seen Jesus over and over again. And in fact, throughout Revelation, he's been referred to as the Lamb a lot. Remember? A lot. And now we have this great white throne. And he who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, doesn't seem like a lamb right now, does he? And no place was found for them. They, in other words, they couldn't hide from this judgment that's about to take place. When God says it's judgment time, nobody can hide. It seems like a lot of people get away with a lot of things these days, right? And they're hiding. There will be a day when they won't be able to. We, as believers, won't be able to. Okay? And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Everybody is going to be there. Okay? This is, this is, it doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter how important they were on the earth, how minor, insignificant they were on the earth. This is, everybody's going to be there for this judgment before Jesus Christ, who are not saved. And it says, And the sea gave up the dead, in verse 13, which were in it. And so it doesn't matter where you died. It doesn't matter where your body is doesn't matter whether you've been cremated or buried. doesn't matter whether you've been lost at sea. doesn't matter if you've been um, burned up in a fire that is so hot that there's not even any ashes left. It doesn't matter what the deal is. God is going to fix that. And, and all those people that are dead are going to be there. And it says, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. <clears throat> I believe that Luke chapter 16 gives us that picture of what is called Hades. 
And in Luke chapter 16, you have the vision of Hades, and it's the good side and the bad side, uh, the bad side if you will. Let's go to that. Let's look at this passage real quick. Because I think that we're in some, some things here in Revelation, as you've known. We've really slowed down the last two, three weeks. We want to really understand these things. I think this stuff matters. In Luke 16, we have this beginning at verse 19. And now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores. And longing to be fed with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. <clears throat> and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Okay, so we understand that this place called Hades here that we're talking about, where the rich man is, is not a good place. And the Bible gives us a description of that here, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a horrible place here, all right? And he's in torment. And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the finger, his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and none may cross over from there to us. And so what we have is we have a picture of what happened with people down through the ages when they died. And those people that believed in God, those people that, believed in, that, that followed God, <clears throat> they went to the same place. And if you will, it'll be a great big thing. We can call the entire thing Hades. That's how the Bible uses it many times. And this whole thing. But the Bible then gets very specific and says the one size was, was, was paradise. Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise to the thief on the cross. Okay, Abraham's bosom. And the other side is the place that it carries the name and consistently is Hades. Okay? And that's the place that was full of torment. And there was this ability to see across this great gulf. So you couldn't get from one place to the other, but you could clearly see here according to this passage. The Bible talks about the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross then, and it talks about it in a couple of different passages, um, uh, Philippians I think, I could be wrong on that, where he went and he set the captives free. I believe that part of what happened with Jesus Christ when he was, when he was in, after he was buried and in that tomb before his physical resurrection, he went and he emptied the good side, the paradise side of Hades. He emptied it. They were there waiting for the redemption of Jesus Christ. The reason why they were in that place and they were not in the very presence of God yet is because Jesus Christ hadn't paid the price for their sins yet. They were in a good place. They were in a pleasant place, Abraham's bosom, a place called paradise, but they couldn't be in the presence of God yet because their sins were being taken care of looking forward to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the penalty for the sins, he then took all of those people that were in paradise, he emptied that, and he took them into the very presence of God. Okay? So when you die today as a believer, you get to go to the presence of God because Jesus paid for your sins back there, and we're talking about here now, you get to go in the presence of God right now. When people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior die, they go to this very same place here called Hades, where they are kept until the judgment day that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 20. And it'll be in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne judgment that God will take Hades and he will empty it 
they will face the judgment and then their final judgment, as it said in Revelation, will be the lake of fire forever and ever. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, and we need to understand how this works. We need to get this. Okay? So go back to Revelation chapter 20 now. And, and we see that that's what it's referring to in verse 13. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. That's what he's referring to here. Is that they have been waiting for the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is now upon us. I want you to understand that the Bible teaches a bunch that God is the judge. And you understand that. The Bible is very clear in the fact that God is a judge that we will be judged, that we will have to stand before a righteous and holy judge and give an account of our lives. Now, for believers, there's no condemnation. Okay? But for believers, there will be that, what did you do with what I gave you as a believer? Okay? And, and we'll get to some of that in a minute. We'll look at some verses here in a moment about some of that. For the unbeliever... It says this. Um, we'll go, go to verse 12. And so there's this, there's this, all the dead are there. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead which were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. So what will unbelievers be judged upon? Their deeds. So what we need to understand is this, is that the Bible seems to indicate that there is going to be, for lack of better word, levels of punishment throughout eternity. Okay? Because they're judged upon their deeds. Because we all recognize that there are some Christians, or excuse me, there are some unbelievers that we'd look at and we'd say, that's a decent moral person. Right? There's some unbelievers that we'd look at and we'd say, that's an evil person. We get that. Well, God does too. <laughs> And God's going to respond to them according to their deeds. All right? Now, lake of fire is a lake of fire. Bad place. But you, what, what, what I think is important for us to understand here is that God has been keeping track. It's in a book. And the book's going to be opened. And people are going to be judged. Okay? How all that works? Don't know. Not my issue. God's going to take care of that, right? And we can, take, we can take a lot of comfort in that. So it says they're judged from the things which are written according to the books, according to their deeds. And then it goes on in verse 13 and says that all of these are, are alive again now. And they are all judged in verse 13 again. Every one of them, again, according to their deeds. Okay? Here's a fascinating thing for you. Here's a fascinating thing for you to ponder. Every religion, every false religion, every religious system outside of biblical Christianity is doing their best to get to heaven by their deeds. And God simply says that doesn't work. It's by Jesus Christ or not at all. But what he does say is your deeds are going to be dealt with. Not your righteous deeds because they're like filthy rags. They don't count. But your unrighteous deeds, we're going to deal with those. Your unrighteousness is going to be dealt with. Okay? And what unbelievers are missing the boat and misunderstanding is that they will be judged on their deeds. But not whether they get to be in heaven or not. It's what their judgment is going to be or not. Okay? 
because we understand that Jesus Christ said you can't get to heaven by any kind of deed. You get to heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ and Him alone, period. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown in a lake of fire. So at this point, we're getting to the point where we're, we're about done with things, and death and Hades, everything is thrown into lake of fire, and lake of fire is that that Satan's been thrown into already, and it's going to burn forever and ever because they're going to be tormented there day and night, it says. Verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown in lake of fire. There's a new name written down in heaven. It's just not a fun little snappy song. It's true. Your name's written down in a book if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior. It's called the Book of Life. And what a wonderful day that'll be when the names of the Book of Life are read, huh? And our names are there. And he says, you belong to me. You are in the Book of Life. Okay? This is amazing stuff. Yes, ma'am? Yes question was, is the lake of fire the same thing as what we call hell? Yes, it is. Yep. When you read all of the stuff in the New Testament about Jesus describing eternity without him in a place called hell, yep, it's the lake of fire. That's exactly what it is. The lake of fire is the place that contains everything that we understand to be that which is evil and unrighteous. It is hell. Yes. Yes. So she said people will be judged, but they're going to the lake of fire anyway. Yeah, they will. They'll be judged upon their deeds because God in his mercy it recognizes that there are some hideous, horrible people and there are some moral people, and he's going to deal with that with them on an individual basis. Levels or depths, I'm not sure what phrase to use. There's different, uh, there's different anguish in hell. How's that? Maybe that's the best phrase as far as we understand. Okay? Yeah, Ted. That's, that's exactly right. So, and many of those parables that Jesus was doing was explaining what the future was going to be. You're exactly right. That's exactly right. And so that is the case. Yeah. All right. All right. So that can comfort us a little bit because we recognize that God is a fair God. He's a just God. Okay? Yeah, Craig? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what these people are going to be judged on, with what they did wrong. Exactly right. And, and that's what's going to happen. So that's the great white throne judgment. That's what's going to happen um, with, with, uh, with the unbelievers. We'll, we're going we're to get to the unbelievers, in, or the believers here. We're going to deal with them. It says, let me do one more thing here real quick. In this whole passage here, um, in verse 21, let's do verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I want you to understand that what's going to happen, what's going to happen soon is this whole world at, the, at this great judgment is going to be destroyed, right? The world's going to be destroyed. And, and we read about that in Second Peter. Turn over with me to Second Peter, chapter 3. 
And it says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. When you read a phrase like this in a context like this, the day of the Lord, understand that he's talking about the process that we've been looking at in Revelation. Okay? It's that time frame that we've been studying, the day of the Lord. And that the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of, of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here's the deal. God at the end of the age is not going to fix up this heaven and this earth. He's going to make brand new ones. And the reason for that is what? We've been talking about it regularly as we've been doing Revelation. The reason for it is what? Sin. That's exactly right. Because the Bible tells us that all of creation was tainted by sin. Because God is going to deal with every single last speck of sin and unrighteousness. So we're going we're gonna to be in this brand new place that has never been touched in any way, shape, or form by sin and unrighteousness. And we will have been transformed at that point. And so we're not going to be tainted by sin and unrighteousness in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, the thing that I can only imagine, you can only imagine that. You can only imagine that. I, I, here's, here's, here's the one thing. Here it is, right? Just this one thing, right? Look around this room right now, on your way into church, on your way home, consider all of the colors, all of the vibrant things that you saw with your eye. Do you have any idea how dull that is now compared to what it's going to be? I mean, it's going to be something, right? It's going to be something. Right? It, it's, it, that's, it, it, it's going to be overwhelming. It's just going to be overwhelming. And it's going to be a great thing. All right. Let's talk a little bit about that's the judgment of the unsaved, the great white throne. Let's talk about, let's talk about us and the judgments that we're going to deal with and, be, and have to face for a while. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, uh, 8. Sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's talk about as best as we can understand what's going to happen with us. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First things first. We're not judged when we think about judgment. Right? The, when we say we're judged, we're not judged as in a judgment. Okay, when we think about a judgment, we're thinking about the scales are being looked at and where's it fall. That's not what's going to happen for us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You will not be condemned ever, never, never, ever, never in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is a really good verse. We are not condemned. It's devaluation. That's exactly what it is. And we'll look at a couple verses. That's a good word. It's devaluation. That's exactly right. Okay. And so the Bible talks about that in great detail, all right? And, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5.21, He who made him 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are the righteousness of God. You're not going to be judged. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. I mean, these are great verses that talk about the fact that we are not going to face that at all, that we have something special, and what we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wound you were healed. Just like we cannot possibly fathom what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be, we cannot possibly fathom the depth of what went on with Jesus Christ on the cross in pain for our sins, so that there is now no condemnation for us as believers. It's beyond us. It is absolutely beyond us. That Jesus Christ did that that he was hanging on that cross and he took your unrighteousness. He took your sin. He paid the price because he shed his blood and he died and he did that for you and you will never face judgment because of that. That's just overwhelming. And it fits in quite well with what we're going to talk about from Hebrews this morning. But there will be this valuation or devaluation that will take place. Let's look at some things. Huh? Evaluation. Evaluate. Yeah, very good. That was a good clarification. <laughs> An evaluation. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse number 9. Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Once you are a believer, once you're, once you're saved, once you're a believer, once you, once you believe in Jesus Christ your Savior, and you are transformed, what you've done in the past is now done, it's history, it's over, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. What you do in the future is over already, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. But the Bible says that we as believers still have to have a day of reckoning, evaluation, good word, a, a day of evaluation about as a believer, what'd you do for me then? What'd you do? Okay? Did you, I gave you some gifts. How'd you use them? I gave you the Holy Spirit. What'd you do with it? Okay? It's going to be that kind of a thing. And, and we need to understand that God is going to be doing that. Now, here's the beauty of it, though. Is there condemnation at this judgment? I'm sure you have all the answers. You're just, I, I know you're shy. And, is there judgment at the, is there condemnation at this judgment? No, there is not. 
The Lamb of God will be dealing with this at that point. Was there judgment by the Lord to Peter? Was he condemned? No. Okay, see what's going on here? It's, 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 that, it's that one who we belong to who is saying to us, you had an opportunity and you didn't, but you know what? You're mine and I love you. And we're going to move forward here. Okay? And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because that's hard for us to see on this earth very often. Let's go to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11. Well, we'll do 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Judgment without condemnation. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your life as a believer? Okay? And here's the thing that I want to challenge you with. It doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter where you were yesterday. You don't have to be there tomorrow. If we're convicted by this kind of stuff today, we can start building our life on that which is eternal tomorrow. We don't have to say, oh well, we can, we can start doing some different things. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Verse 10, Romans 14, 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We're giving him an account. We are in the line that has the book of life. We're in the book of life line. And we're going to need to deal with the Lamb of God who's the judge. Those who are names are not found in the book of life, they're in the, they're, in the, they're in the line of judged upon their deeds right before they are condemned for eternity in a place called the lake of fire. Different, different lines, different purposes, different everything. But understand that this is going to happen down the road. Go back to, to Revelation here for a moment and go to chapter 19. And it says this, let us, uh, sorry, 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. 
And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, These are true words of God. The righteous acts of the saints. That's, that's what we're after. The righteous acts of the saints. And the reason why we do any kind of righteous acts of the saints is because we are righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have his righteousness now. The Bible talks about believers getting a crown of life in James. Talks about having an imper- imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians. Talks about having a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy. Talks about having a crown of glory in 1 Peter. Talks about a crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians and in Philippians. And then if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 4. And it's very possible that we will participate in this activity. Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 I'll do verse 9, Revelation 4, 9. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. It's very possible that we will participate in this and we'll throw our crowns down at the feet of the one who gave gave us our crowns to begin with because we will worship him and love him so much that our crowns will be his throughout all of eternity. So the unsaved will be, will be judged. Is, are, is your name in the book of life or not? If the answer is no, they're judged upon their deeds. The unsaved. If your name is in the book of life, you, are, you will indeed have to give an account. You, you will be evaluated for what you did with what it is that that God has given you as a believer. And so the question that every one of us needs to leave with this thought is, well, what are we doing for God? What are we doing for God? What are we doing for God? Okay? All right, any questions on any of that? Let's go back to Revelation. So we have this whole thing about the judgment. We have God is going to judge, and God has made very clear that he's going to judge. Judged on deeds according to the un, uh, the, uh, this passage about the unsaved. Uh, let me look at this verse here and see if we want to go here. Yeah, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. What is Satan's big thing? What's the word? Deception. He's a deceiver. All things will be revealed at the judgment. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and then I will declare for them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Here's what we need to learn and make sure that we understand as we're talking about judgment, as we're talking about whether we are judged, whether our name is written in the book of life or not, that it it, 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 it is about who you are. 
and because of who you are than you do. Okay? Going to church doesn't do it. Being baptized doesn't do it. Being a part of a Christian family or a Christian community doesn't do it. Okay? I, I fear that, that because of what is going on in our world today, we, we are surrounded by groups of people who call themselves churches, and there are people that are going from the pew to hell because they think they're doing the right thing because they are working for God or they're, they're, doing the, they're all about works. It has nothing to do with the works. It is about, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Have you accepted his gift of salvation in your life? Do you understand that sin separates you from God? Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin, and only by believing in him, receiving him as your Savior, can you be saved, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's what we have to understand. And there are going to be people who get into heaven and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, here we are. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Can you fathom such a thing? Oh, absolutely one of the saddest verses on the Bible. Yep. So I say that to make sure that we understand. Make sure that you are where you need to be with Jesus Christ, not where you are with a religious hoop-jumping system. Make sure you are where you need to be with Jesus Christ. Go back to Revelation. So it says that all of this is dealt with. Verse 14, death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. There's the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And at that point, things about, are about to change. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Things are about to change. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and the sorcerers and the idolaters and the liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We'll look at this a little bit more in detail next week. I want to I part with verse 4 though. I want to end with verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain and the first things have passed away. I am one that believes that there will be a realization at the judgment. I think that we will know what we've done and what we haven't done. I think there will be a realization. 
of our lack of serving the Lord properly, our lack of doing what we should do, I think there's a very possibility, there's a real possibility that there will be a realization at the judgment about who is, is with those whose names are written in the book of life and, and who's in that line that is not that. I think there will be a realization. Here's what I know. That he'll wipe away every tear. And he'll say, we're done now. We're done with all that. We're moving on. We're not dealing with evaluations anymore. We're not dealing with judgments anymore. We're not dealing with any of that stuff anymore. We're not dealing with, with what you understand about good and evil and who is and who is not. We're not dealing with anything. We're going to wipe those tears from your eyes. Death's done. Mourning's done. Crying's done. Pain's done. Come on. Let me show you what life's about to be like. I know that for sure. And that'll be a great and glorious day, won't it? And that's what we're headed toward. And that's cool. We'll pick up here next week and continue our march through the end of Revelation. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thank you for this book, which gives us so much insight about what's going to happen. And yet we recognize there's a lot of questions. So, Father, help us to focus in on that that would know and cherish it and believe in it. And, Father, I pray that you would just convict each and every one of us that we would be sure, that we would be sure that, that our standing with you is where it needs to be because of Jesus Christ, that we are standing in him and him alone and not based upon anything else so that our names would be indeed written in the book of life and that we would be yours throughout all of eternity. Father, I pray that we would go forward with this information, that we would honor you, that we'd witness for you, that we'd testify of you, that we'd shine for you, that people would know that Jesus Christ is the difference, that it's all about Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for this incredible hope and this grand future. And we pray this in Jesus' name.